Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. to another exciting episode of SFP Now. We have um, a really cool guest on today in the form of uh, Nick Briggs, um, voice of the Daleks and also the executive producer of Big Finish Audio. Uh, but before we go to uh, Nick Briggs, we're going to have some news. And joining me to do the news this week um, is Raisa. So how are you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. Well, um, it's been a good, it's been a fairly good week for news so far. I mean, it's uh, Wednesday already, and uh, this goes out on Friday, and um, you know, qu- quite quite a lot of sort that seems to be happening, but it seems to be quite staggered. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna dive in straight straight on first uh, because um, as as we as we do this show, uh, Robin is at Thingycon. She's at Worldcon at in Philadelphia, I think it is. Awesome. Uh, where she's hoping to get an interview with uh, a new But while we're talking on the subject of Hulk, uh, Matt Ruffalo is uh, has come out and he's basically uh, pretty much confirming some a rumor that that Magnuferino started in that he says that Marvel are definitely considering a standalone Hulk movie. That should be good. That should be really good. It, it, it will be, and I, I, I hope it is. Um, I hope it's better than the um, other two. Although, that said, the second Hulk movie, The Incredible Hulk, with, um, I can't remember the name, the actor now. Ed Norton. Ed Norton was actually pretty good. It wasn't yes. great, but it was pretty good. Um, but this is, what, this is what he says. He says, um, I think they are, they are, for the first time, entertaining the idea of it, uh, Ruffin Old told Digital Spy, um, on June 17th. Um, it says, when we did Avengers, it was basically uh, no. And, um, you know, obviously with the impact of the character in Avengers and popularity of Ruffalo's take on it, it's um, it's now looking more and more like a yes, I guess. Mm-hmm. Which, which is good news. I, 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 like, I like Mark Ruffalo. I've seen him in, I've seen him in quite a few films. Uh, and, you know, I actually remember as far back as probably around about 96 where he was in a, he was in a film with... Um, um, I can't remember the name of the actress. It was something Stuart Masterson, and it was a it was a Christmas film where he plays a security guard and uh, he catches her shoplift and he ends up looking after her and her daughter over Christmas. Mm-hmm. It's quite a funny film, mm-hmm. and that, it was sort of it's a bit of a rom com, and that that, that was a, one of the first films that I remember seeing Mark Ruffalo in. It was like one that my mum had on, and uh, it wasn't a bad film. Mm. 
So, you know, and and I remember see, seeing that and having seen him in a few other things and then hearing that he got the role with the Hulk and I thought, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, this guy's in rom-coms. <laughs> yeah. You know? um, so the casting for me of Mark Ruffalo was a little bit out of left field, but he, he's done a good job. Yeah, I think part of it, too, is Mark Ruffalo, because he was a lesser-known quantity compared to the other two actors, um, he was probably, you know, probably cheaper <laughs> over a multi-picture deal. Yeah, and I think I think also he's got more of an everyman quality about him yeah, than the other yeah. two actors. Um, I mean, the other two actors are known for playing quite violent, aggressive, um, you know, macho sort of parts, whereas whereas he, he he's kind of known for, for the opposite sort of thing. So I think yes. I think that was kind of like a better fit for David Banner as you know as well. Oh, oh sorry, Bruce Banner. And it's, and, it's, and, it, and let's face facts here. Um, the problem with the two the problem with the two previous Hulk movies, apart from any script issues, is that at the performance level, whether anyone wanted to acknowledge it or not, they were chasing Bill Bixby. And Mark Ruffalo is the closest to Bill Bixby of the three of them. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, which is quite, quite a compliment, really, because Bill Bixby, um, as an actor, um, had quite an incredible range. He did. He did. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe you got some news. Yes, um, Haven, which is one of the series I, I watch regularly and watched it since the beginning, uh, they've been renewed, finally. It took them a long time to finally get their, their season five renewal together. Um, but they have brought on a, another cast member for season five. They've brought on Laura Manel from Alphas as a um, Center for Disease Control Operative who comes into Haven and discovers some uh, genetic markers that may lead to a potential cure. Ooh. Apparently, for the troubles. For the troubles, yes. Yeah. So it's going to be magic, magic versus science, or magic and science. It's going to be interesting to see how they pull that off because mm-hmm. um, because at the end of season four, it was revealed that um, the the troubles were partly due to. To what would seem to be aliens, it hasn't been established yet whether the aliens are extraterrestrial or interdimensional yet. We'll find that out, but it seems to be something other, and we have to see to what extent they're magic or what extent they're science or what extent they're kind of both, because in science fiction you often get themes of science that's so advanced that might as well be magic or magic that can be mistaken for science. And so I think they're kind of tread that line in between by the looks of it. And so Laura Manel's character looks like she's going to be coming down on the science side and, and adding to that level of the debate. So which, it should be interesting. Which alpha did Laura Manel play? Did, which, did she play the... Um, the she, played, she played Nina, the one that um, could make you do things just by talking to you. Oh, right, the, the red-haired one. Uh, no, she's got... Uh, she's got she's a brunette. Oh, yeah, that's right. She's a brunette. And just... Um, you know, I kind of like my, my memories of that show are kind of vague. I do remember the second season being a little bit better than the first, but it never really. It never really gelled, and I, I skipped the season altogether. I only watched a little bit of it the first season and got bored. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, yeah. Well, I I, um, I, wa- I watched the first season, and then when the second season came round, I didn't bother. Uh, but then um, a friend. 
uh, mine, the old Mart, uh, suggested I give it a second second look because it had actually improved. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, um, I don't think it had improved by 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 a great deal. To be honest, you know, mm-hmm. they, they kind of yeah. did the, they kind of did an art based story in the second season. And, yeah. You know, but you know, given how how uh, how the first season season was, it was a little bit. You know, it just um, it just didn't gel right for me. No, no, it didn't. Oh, um, I've got a bit of exciting news. Um, I, I'm going to mention this because I'm a big fan of this, this these particular series from the 70s, but uh, Dynamite Comics um, are actually doing a fourth season of, by, of The Bionic Woman. I've read they're that. Doing a, they're doing a comic cool. book. They're doing yeah. a comic book story um, continuing on. So they're doing season four. Um... I've been. I've actually been reading uh, the you know the season six comic that they've been doing for Six Million Dollar Man, and it's really good. They use Maskatron, <laughs> who, who, as you know, he was never actually in these series. No, I think he was, he was just the toy line, right? He was just the toy line, but the toy line was actually based on the um, on, on 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 the robot that John Saxon played in, oh, in wow. the first season. Okay. But um, he was never actually called Maskatron in the series, sort of thing. So. It's kind of it's kind of a it's kind of funny to see that in the comics and and, and also kind of cool mm-hmm. uh, because the closest TV series ever got to it was Fembots when they when they actually had that uh, used the same technology to in, in the episode King Oscar where, yes. where they yeah. where they kidnapped Oscar and they um, they replaced him with a robotic duplicate in in, yes. in the Bionic Woman episodes. Mm-hmm. But it's really great to see those stories continued in the comics um, with all the 70s styles and everything. It's it's really good. It's really good fun. Yeah, so I think it should be cool. It sounds fun when you read just the descriptions of it. But I, I just thought I'd mention that because it was a story that I found last night and decided to uh, do, do a little blurb on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe you've got some true blood news. Yes. Um, I don't know how far he's gotten, but apparently the true blood composer Nathan Barr is trying to put together a true blood musical, by, and by which I mean stage musical. And he he wants to try and get it back to the show's roots because a lot of fans have complained that the a show's mythology has kind of taken some tangents, and he wants to try and center it around Suki and get it around its its roots. And uh, he is uh, currently trying to get it on off off the ground. He he's um he's hoping to workshop the musical in a work in a year's time, according to this article. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think I think basically he's not got any Broadway approval yet. Um, but he's going to be calling on Broadway, and Broadway have to decide whether it is fantastic or whether it sucks. <laughs> Sorry, I just couldn't, no, no, couldn't I, get that digging. Thank, thank for that. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's, it's the sort of musical that is either going to be brilliant or crash and burn. So that's sad, you know. As the article also points out, there's been there's been a musical made about the uh, Rocky film, That's true. which is doing really really well by by all accounts. So mm-hmm. you know, stranger things has happened. You know, yeah, not, not, yeah. not everything's going to be like the Amazing Spider-Man musical, which flopped. Yeah, yeah, and and just. Just saw that it was was a financial nightmare to get going, but you know I, I'm I'm not sure I'm not sure if True Blood you know lend itself to a musical. 
it's something I'd actually have to see. Yeah, yeah, they, they would have they would have to strip it down. But I think that's his goal. I think it's not, it's not, I, I don't watch the show, but I, I know from just reading general fan reactions uh, that I try and keep up with that a lot of fans are complaining that over the course of the seasons, the show has gotten farther and farther from the central premise. And it's just sort of kind of gone off on, you know, all these mythology-based tangents and kind of gotten buried in its own narrative. Yeah, and I'd say that was true from season three through to maybe four. Um, season five though, last season, was actually it was kind of like uh, getting back to basics in so many ways and it just became about the vampires mm. for the most part. And, and there was sort of like little, little bits about the fairies sort of thing because of Suki's uh, background. Um, mm. But that, you know, that is all in the books. Yes, it is. You know, so it's um, so so that, that's not the show getting buried in its own narrative. I say that criticism was actually true season three, maybe through four, because mm-hmm. uh, season three was totally flipping boring because they had this uh, they had this song like a uh, storyline with a witch that was having you know that was trying to get her revenge on the vampires of Bonton and stuff like that, and it just dragged and dragged and dragged. Oh, you know. Dear. Uh, you know, so like um, it was just just it just narratively it was a bit of a nightmare and it just didn't seem to seem to do do much for me as a as a drama as the first two seasons did. Mm-hmm. Um, getting on to another show that's so like uh, that's actually coming back next year, Heroes Reborn. This is the first time I think we've talked about this show on 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 the podcast in a while. Yes. Um, yes. I'm not sure if we've even touched on Heroes Reborn, which is coming back next year, but they've actually got an ori- another original cast member back in the form of Jack Coleman. Awesome. Uh, who he's, the, he's the one I actually want back. The others are kind of optional as far as I'm concerned. Well, Jack Coleman, we saw like he, you know, and throughout the first few seasons he was trying to protect Claire. Yeah. And, and um, while, while at the same time he was hunting the others down, so he's kind of like a, a very, very conflicted sort of character. Yes. And I've got to admit, I was kind of impressed because the only thing I remember ever seeing Jack Coleman in other than Heroes was Dynasty. Was, yes. And yes. He was pretty rubbish in that. Well, he was 24, and yeah, 25 years had done him some good. He, he learned to act in the no, interim. No, 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 I, I just basically think that uh, TV writers have actually learned to write in the inter- intervening years. That too. Um, you know, because, let's face it, Dynasty wasn't exactly <laughs> the most well-written show. A lot, a lot of Heroes wasn't exactly the most well-written show either. Yeah, but his uh, his part was written pretty well. Yes, you know? his his part was one of the one of the few that was relatively consistent, even when other parts of the narrative were falling apart. So it's going to be cool to see him come back. I'd be curious to know who else is going to bring back because they're going to be struggling to bring. I think the but have they got Hayden Penetrate back? Not yet. She's on Nashville right now, mm-hmm. which is doing very well. So they they're going to have to work around that. I know Zachary Quinto has already said he's not coming back. He plays Siler. He's he's been is he doing other things? He was he's he's now uh, Spock, and he's um, and he's also going to also goes in and out on um, American Horror Story mm-hmm. and shows like that. So I, I don't know. To me, the, the original run of Hero Cygul was part of the problem. They should have just <laughs> left him, let him stay dead. They should, the they should have. They should have. 
That is not, however, Zachary Quinto's fault. Um, he played what he was given to the hilt and did it really well. And basically, the show became a victim of his his, his success. He, he he played his he did his job so well that they just sort of started building the narrative around him, which they shouldn't have done. But yeah. you know, it, I mean, I, I I've got to, I've got to agree with you there. I don't I don't blame Quinto for 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 how how rubbish it became because you know, like you say, he, he did play play the part well. Gaps yeah. played it too well. Yeah. Um, but to to me. The, the, you know, then bringing back Sainer was sort of like a big part of the problem. It's almost as if they, they, they didn't, didn't feel confident enough in their writing and in, in, within the show's mythology to come up with another villain. That, you could, that, that argument could be made. But, and it's, this new version, Reborn, is going to be a 13-episode limited series written also by Tim Kring. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if he's learned any lessons in the interim about what to do and not do. Um, so, uh, from what I've read, it's going to be closer to season one in tone, which is interesting because season one is one of the more functional seasons. Okay, so. um, moving on now, um, a bit of a, a bit of Star Trek news here in that uh, here's something we can quickly talk about to sort of kill kill the rest of the show. In that Star Trek continues, fairest of them all is. It's the third episode of Star Trek Continues, which stars Vic Mignana as a Captain James T. Kirk, and he also wrote this particular episode. I think he wrote the other three episodes. Yeah, he, episodes he wrote. He's, well. he's written them all. Um, um, but this one is really special. It's probably the best one I've done yet. Yes, it is basically Mirror Mirror. The episode Mirror Mirror continued from, continued from the Mirror Mirror perspective. So that you mm. get you get Beard and Spock um, from the point the. Uh, R. Kirk and crew leave and his crew come back and what happened to them. And it's really wonderful. It's also, you know, I've got, got, got a song I give a big thumbs up to, uh, was it, is it Tim Haberkan or something that plays Spot? Yes. In that? He did an outstanding job. Oh, that was, it was beautiful. It was did, absolutely beautiful. You know, he did, he did a brilliant job as, as Spot. It's the most I've seen him doing any of those episodes. And for me, you know, he, he's probably third only to sort of like Zach Quinto and Leonard Nimoy. Probably the best Spock I've seen in the fan film. Yes, he's, he's wonderful. He's and, it's, and, and he was asked to do a lot because he was basically carrying that episode to, mm-hmm. for a great extent. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a really good episode. And uh, guys, if you, if you want to go see it, just just do Google search for Star Trek Continues, Fairest of them all. You won't be disappointed. I think you'll enjoy it. And watch and watch the previous ones if you haven't already seen them. It's, Excellent stuff. It's easily the best fan Star Trek fan series out there for my money. Yes, it's wonderful. And, Absolutely and, wonderful. And um, I, I'm really critical of fan series when it comes to sort of like Star Trek and Doctor Who stuff because I just generally I generally don't have a great deal of time for fan films. No, I don't either. You know, but but this one. I, I, I have time for and if, I, if I'm saying I have time for something like this it's so like it's of so, 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 such a quality that you know I'm going to watch every, every episode until it starts getting bad yeah yeah. but it just seems to be getting better yeah and it's going to be interesting to see what the fourth episode is going to be it, it will be I mean so like um, I remember interviewing Dick Mignan earlier on the year and he was saying it was about a film this episode and, and this and that and um he didn't, you know, he said that the fans will really appreciate the next one that they're doing sort of thing, but he didn't even, he didn't get on for a second that it was a Mirror Universe episode. I kind 
have guessed it when I saw the title, Fairest of Them All, because that, of course, is the mirror, mirror uh, reference from Snow White. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I began to wonder if that wasn't the direction they were going in. That, that, that probably is. Um, anyway, um, that's about all we've got time for this week on the news, and we'll be back at you uh, in a couple of weeks' time. Oh, I'd like to welcome to the show a very special guest um, and someone that, um, that that I'm kind of a big fan of because of um, a lot of his Doctor Who work and um, and um, stuff that he's done with Big Finish. I'd like to introduce Nicholas Briggs, uh, the voice of the Daleks and Cybermen in Doctor Who and the um, executive producer of Big Finish Audio. Welcome to the show. Uh, hello, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Um, I, ho- I hope I didn't fudge the intro. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded good to me. Okay. Um, <clears throat> well, you know, so like um, you, you've been doing, you've been doing the uh, big finish for how long now? Um, how long has it been going? It's been going for well, quite a while. Big finish, big finish. Doctor Who is fifteen years old this year. Although I think you know we did a year or so more of uh, Bernice Summerfield beforehand, and I've been involved in it all the way through. I've been executive producer for this is this will be my eighth year as executive producer. So um, yeah, it's um, it's my life. <laughs> well, it's a you... day job. <clears throat> oh, you know. Yeah, but it's you know, um, I, bet, I bet it's actually a great feeling. You know, with you being a big fan of Doctor Who, you're able to work with Doctor Who and. Um, and all the other um, all the other science fiction stuff that Big Finish does as well. Yes, well, yeah. it, it it is. It's um, uh, you know, I'm I'm very privileged to do it really, and it's been you know, I've, I've worked hard to to get what I've got, and also there's you know, there's always luck along the way as well. You know, just happening to know the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's worked out very well, and it's good that we do other things aside from Doctor Who. Although, of course, yes, Doctor Who is my big passion, and as you know, we've um, you know just signed an agreement with. Anderson Media to do Terrorhawks. Yeah, I'm going to ask you about that a little bit later on. Actually, I've got a got a question lined up about that. Brilliant. Well, well. well, you know, we're we're gearing up for that, and it's uh, for me one of the best things about that is to work with Jamie Anderson, Jerry Anderson, the late Jerry Anderson's son, mm-hmm. who's just, I think, you know, a brilliant guy, very talented, and I think it's he's going to do a fantastic job. Yeah, I th- I think he is as well. I mean, I've actually interviewed Jamie twice. Um, I interviewed him on Friday, and he's a really nice guy, really approachable, really easy to sort of talk to. Absolutely, so, yeah. He's great. Great sense of humour, too. You have, you have to have a great sense of humour to work with me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you know, um, you've, you've done a lot. You've done a lot with Big Finish. You've uh, you've written for them, you've directed, you've produced them, and, um, you know, you've, you've pretty much done stories uh, with all the classic Doctors, um, you know, now obviously it must feel great as a fan to do that, but uh, is, is there actually a favourite doctor that you like working with in, in you know, within within the field of a of, of big finish? Well, uh, if there were, I couldn't possibly say because the one the ones I didn't name would be straight on to me. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean they. I think they're all brilliant in their own right. I'm, I'm sorry if that's the sort of you know uh, uh, an answer that sounds like I'm fudging it, but they are all different. You know, I, I mean I will say that uh, of course we got to a point where we never expected to work with Tom Baker because he'd sort of said no a couple of times, and then suddenly a few years ago he uh, the, in, there were indications that he 
would he might say yes. You know, I remember talking to the lovely late Liz Sladen, uh, and she said, "I think that you know now's the time, Nick. I think he's, I think there's a change of attitude." And, mm-hmm. and Lou Jameson put in a good word for us as well. <coughs> and, uh, and and yeah, and then we got to work with him. So you know, I suppose considering that I was sort of 13, 14 years old when Tom became the Doctor. Uh, you know, and whoever's the Doctor when you're that sort of age, when you're really, if you're if you're into Doctor Who when you're 13, you're really starting to take notice of the detail of a television programme. So, I mean, Tom Baker had a huge impact on me and to, to be working with him and for him to be telling us that this is the best, he's having the best time of his life and that he feels like we're a family that he belongs to. I mean... Uh, even if I ever thought that we might work with Tom Baker, I never expected he'd be saying lovely things like that to us, you know, to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's been marvellous. But, of course, you know, I've known Colin Baker of all the doctors the longest and, uh, you know, count him as a friend, really. I suppose of all of them, he's the one I could um, pick up the phone to and just chat to as a friend. Um, but, you know, equally, uh, I think Sylvester is one of the the loveliest human beings um, and Peter, who I saw recently to, to do some sort of interview thing from behind the scenes on Doctor Who, a lovely guy, and uh, Paul McGann, brilliant, you know. Um, uh, I, I'm not directing him in Dark Eyes at the moment, the, uh, the latest stories we're doing with him because of other work commitments, but, you know, we kept in touch by phone and text throughout the recording session. So, you know, um, they're, they're all lovely people. Have I left anyone out? Um, I, 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 don't, I don't think you have, I mean... Of the, of the big finished one? Of, of, of the big finished ones, I can't, I can't seem to think you've left anyone out. I mean, obviously, you've... you've you've probably never had the opportunity to work with uh, with Troughton, Pertwee or, or no, Hartnell. I, want, I asked uh, Patrick Troughton a question at the Longlead convention <laughs> and he was very nice. He is, I can officially say he's my favourite doctor. Um, you know, I think he em- embodied uh, the character brilliantly and was the first of the modern doctors. You know, when we when we got our first regenerated doctor, I think that's what, you know, defines what the series is. And he's... <laughs> William Hartnell was uh, brilliant, but a sort of set apart from the others, I think. I think the part was very different then, and the programme was different. And then with Patrick Charlton, it became, it became a show about a guy, a mad guy in a box who goes around solving problems, you know, and beating monsters. Yeah. And it's a bit... Like like that in the latter William Hartnell stuff, but it hadn't quite formed that. But yeah, you know, no, Patrick Chan's my favourite, I and mean, he's the favourite of a lot of the doctors. I know Matt Smith, uh, who by the by was brilliant to work with, uh, and a lovely guy. Um, I know Matt Smith had a lot of time for Patrick Chan as well. Yeah, I've actually, um, it's kind of funny because out of all the DVDs that I've got of Doctor Who, the most stories I have. Of, of the DVD connection, they're all Patrick Troughton stories. Oh, brilliant. You know, I kind of, you know, I kind of love, love, love his, loved his interpretation of it. And, uh, you know, the, the, and he also seemed to have uh, probably just as many companions as Tom Baker did. But you had Jamie McCrimmon, who was like the one constant. Yeah, he was yeah. great, Patrick Troughton. I mean, the thing is about him is, you know, like William Hartnell, he did it all year round. So it was a bit, for him, it was a bit like doing weekly rep, you know. It was a bit like doing a, a, a play a week. And um, the schedule was punishing. And anyone who played the lead in a TV series, especially like Doctor Who, I don't think there was anything else like it around. I know they gave him the odd episode off, um, where, where you're the main guy and you've got all the lines and all the explanations. And it's week in, week out. And, you know, we, we've heard stories, have we not, that, you know, towards the end of his time, 
he got sort of cross and fed up and said, I'm leaving now. And they thought they, they persuaded him to stay for a final year or something. And the brilliant thing about him is that, um, and we all know that William Hartnell, you know, struggled with his lines. And we see it in the DVDs that he was having a lot yeah. of trouble sometimes. Whereas Patrick Charlton, actually, I mean, as an actor said, like, I've got some special knowledge. You can sort of tell that Patrick Charlton's having the same trouble, but he's just absolutely brilliant at getting round it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he finds himself thinking space, whereas William Hartnell would just come to a halt and, and dither and be in trouble and other actors would have to help him out. Whereas Patrick Charlton, he was, uh, you know, I've discussed it a lot with Fraser Hines, who does a brilliant Patrick Charlton voice. He, you know, when you're an actor and uh, <laughs> lines, uh, yes, Jamie, ah. Uh, you know, it's all that. He does all that. And it makes it, it feels like it's the character. But, I mean, in fact, what it is, and the little <clears throat> coughs he did and everything, it's all thinking time. And I, he does it so beautifully. I think, you know, it's, it's, um, I can sort of see the trick. And I quite like that, you know. I, I mean, and seeing Web of Fear again. Oh, wow. I mean, I was reduced to tears after that. I watched it all, the, the you know, the, the, the moment it was released. I got it on uh, iTunes. And I was in New York at the time going to uh, a Comic-Con to, you know, uh, publicize Big Finish and all that. And I, I, I had a shower after I uh, watched it because I was going to go down to breakfast because it was in the middle of the night. I bought it and I just found myself weeping like a child it was just it was incredible it was like a dead relative coming back to life you know someone mm-hmm. you thought you'd never see again and seeing Web of Fear again you know because I'm old enough to remember seeing it the first time it was amazing yeah my, my first doctor you know um, was was Tom Baker I was I was about probably about five when Tom Baker took over maybe even four yeah and um uh, he kind of like regenerated when I was about 11 and it went to Peter Davison and I, I had trouble going with Peter Davison. I still watched the show and I still enjoyed it, but I've become so attached to Tom Baker, I found it really difficult. Yeah, well, because he did it for so long as well, and it's a very, you know, a very uh, idiosyncratic performance. And, you know, as Tom says, you know, he was playing the Doctor before he played the Doctor, and he's never stopped playing with the Doctor because it's kind of essentially him. And all you have to do is give him the right lines, and then, boom, he's the Doctor, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, incre- it's an incredible performance, what Tom does. It, it's sort of not like any of the others, really, and I find writing for him, uh, although, you know, as many people have said, including Stephen Moffat, and I think he's largely right, of course, that the Doctor is the Doctor is the Doctor, no matter who's playing it. But I do find that when I'm writing it for Tom, I, I really am hearing his voice in my head from all the audio recordings I made off the television at the time, because there were no video recorders in those days. So, you know, that's how I remember the Tom Baker stuff so well, because I audio recorded it and then listened to it over and over again. And, you know, I, I, I think that I could probably identify any Tom Baker episode just from a snippet of about three seconds of a piece of music. Wow. You know, because I've become, it's so ingrained in my head. Well, since Doctor Who returned to television back in 2005, you've had the chance to voice both the Daleks and the Cybermen. Yes. Um, and did Dune and the Ice Warriors. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was just going to say that. <laughs> you know, do, do you ever, are there any other classic voice monsters you'd love to have a stab of voice in? And, of course, I did the Zygons as well in um, The Day of the Doctor, so that was good. Oh, Wow. <laughs> Yeah, it's just that I was only actually aware of the Daleks and the Cybermen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so Jadun, Ice Warriors, and, uh, and uh, the Zygons, and uh, what else did I do? I did, uh, I did a bit of that thing in the long game, the Jagrafess, you know? 
and oh, I did right. some noises for that. But I wasn't credited for it because the sound designer also made some noises for that. So it was a bit of a sort of mishmash. I think I got paid for it though. But it was just a lot of. <laughs> They got me in at the last minute because they didn't know what to do with it. I mean, also, I did the the, auto, the nesting voice as well in Rhodes. Mm. Again, they didn't know um, quite what to do. And they, uh, I don't know whether you remember in Rhodes, they were cutting back and forth from the Doctor and Rose sort of fighting the nesting creature in the pit there. Yeah, I remember that bit, yeah. And, and all the stuff with Rose's mum being attacked by the, the, the bride's autons. And they cut back, when they edited it, they cut back to uh, Jackie one more time than, um, than they had intended to. And they needed another beat when they cut back to the nesting creature. It needed to be more than just cutting back to what we'd seen before. And so Russell said, it needs to speak it needs to say something and then they thought oh, what are we going to do for the voice and it was very last minute and then russell very kindly just said to all those concerned oh phone nick briggs he'll come and do it <laughs> he'll come up with something and you know i literally was called by the adr people i don't think they even contacted my agent i think they were so they wanted to move so fast on it there's someone phoned up and said apparently you're the man for the job <laughs> and i said yeah whatever so i just tried all sorts of different things God. and then in the final mix you could hardly hear it i think it says time lord um, yeah. and you can't I think it wasn't until they released the DVD box set where they slightly remixed the sound that you could just pick it out but uh, I remember checking that it was on the DVD by putting the uh, subtitles on <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I actually um, you know now that you mention that I've actually got the DVD box set of the first series uh, with, with uh, Christopher Eccleston and um, I do kind of I do kind of remember hearing Time Lord in, in that when, yeah. when I watched it um, I mean, I've probably seen that pilot episode about four or five times by now. Yeah, I, I do love it, actually. I think it's a brilliant episode. I remember um, to, in order to do that voice, they sent me a, a VHS of that episode, the, the sort of initial edit, um, which I suppose I must still have somewhere. Quite a prized possession now, I suppose. You know, with none of uh, Murray Gold's music on, with just stock tracks and bits and bits and pieces on it and uh yeah and i remember just sitting down to watch that and it absolutely blew me away and then of course all the special stuff they did with it by the time it was finished i thought it was amazing mm -hmm. and then the next week the end of the world which is still one of my favorite episodes it's just great a great fusion of new and old doctor who i do do love it yeah and you um you had a uh, zoe warnermaker in that episode as well was it zoe warnermaker who did the uh, the, the plastic that's, that's right yeah yeah yeah, yeah I, thought, I thought that was a brilliant performance especially in the uh, in in the episode that she did the following year yes new yeah. earth was it yeah yeah, yeah i think I think it was New Earth, yeah. That, that yeah. episode the following year is just a fantastic performance. Uh, you know, almost brought me to tears. Yeah, yeah. great stuff, wasn't it? Yes. It was, yeah. Um, you know, is there any um, is there any Doctor Who monsters that you've not yet voiced that you'd like to have a stab at? Uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I'm always open to offers. Um, I'd certainly also like to, you know, get a costume on and actually appear appear in the series. You know, I did uh, Torchwood, mm -hmm. uh, an episode of that, where I met uh, Peter Capaldi, of course, who was, um, you know, one of the main characters. Did you see that one, the Torchwood Children of Earth? Uh, yeah, I've got it. I've got I've got it on DV. I've got it on Blu-ray. The uh, box set. Yeah. That was a nice experience. That mm -hmm. with uh, uh, and Peter, you know, I um, there's a story I've told several times. So excuse me if you've heard it, which is that I I, I saw Peter. Capaldi on the set and thought, oh, I'll go and introduce myself because I've always been a great admirer of his work. And I got 
halfway across the room and he turned around and saw me and then went and saw my, my outstretched hand. He said, oh, you no need to introduce yourself to me, Nicholas Briggs. Oh, my God, what's it like to be Voice of the Daleks? You know, that's how much of a Doctor Who fan he was. He seemed to be more thrilled to meet me than I was to meet him, you know. Lovely guy. And, uh, and when we were filming Matt Smith's uh, last one, you know, he, uh, Jenna was showing him around the set and uh, he remembered me. You know, she was about to introduce him to me and he said, oh, oh I know Nick, we know each other, you know, and that, which is lovely, isn't it, you know, with the new doctor coming in. He was just going around and introducing himself to everyone and saying hi, really nice yeah. guy. Yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Peter Capaldi does because um, I've, seen, I've seen him in other stuff. I've seen him in Torchwood, I've seen him in the... Uh, you know the the uh, the one about was it the fog of Pompeii? Yep. So yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're that's it. And um, he's always brilliant. You know, he's great in everything he does, and he's going to be fantastic as the Doctor. Yeah, I also remember him from uh, from the thick of it, and I think he did. I think he was in Local Hero, wasn't he? That that, that yeah. film with uh, he was with, yeah with Lancaster. That was one of his first films, I think. Yeah, he's so, done a lot. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, in, in terms of in terms of the Big Finish stuff, one, one of my favourite dramas from 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 your Big Finish audio it's it's an old one. It's Peter Davison one. It's Spare Parts, uh, which yeah. I thought was a fantastic, brilliant exploration of the origins of Cyberman. And I've got to, I've got to admit, I was actually quite disappointed that they didn't go ahead and use that in the um, in the new series. Well. Anyway. Yes, I don't know whether they ever really considered it or not. Um, and certainly what they did was virtually nothing like it. But uh, I think, you know, I, I thought it worked brilliantly as an audio, but I don't know whether that sort of thing would have worked in the uh, TV series, you know, on television there. But I, I don't yeah. you know. Yeah, one of, one, of one of the things that uh, my, 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 a friend of mine, she's a big Doctor Who fan, uh, says is that they may, they may have disregarded the original, you know, Cybermen because Pluto is no longer classed as a planet, and there's some reference to Pluto in, in the um, in, in the first Cybermen adventure. Or something. Is that? I, I, I I'm not entirely sure myself, but she she says that there's some reference to it, and it's no longer it's no longer classed as a planet, sort of thing. So well, we couldn't have the tenth planet. Yeah. Be the ninth planet. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think that's what I think that's why like she's you know. Isn't there another one though that since Pluto wasn't haven't we found another planet into the solar system? I, I think we have. I, mean, I think we, so it probably still works. It, it doesn't matter. I mean, the, you know, newsflash: uh, Doctor Who's not real. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. <laughs> I, I know, and I, th- I think some people, I think some people actually, um, you know, relate it a bit, bit, bit too much to to reality. So Sometimes, whereas I, 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 I just watch it for escapism. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, it's good stories, and we learn from stories. And Doctor Who's the Doctor Who stories are good stories to learn from, especially for kids. You know, it's all about good triumphing over evil. I'm not saying anything very original here, but people do. Um, uh, Tom Spilsbury, the editor of Doctor Who magazine, and I were having a sort of jokey conversation the other day, and he said, oh, "I always find it a shame," said Tom, um, "when uh, you know reality supersedes things that happen in Doctor Who." And I said, "Well, Doctor Who's not about predicting the future. It's nothing to do with that." He said, "You know, it's such a shame, you know, with." The, the 10th planet when they're talking about all those missions to the moon and everything you know and the, the, they were sending people to the moon in 1986 and you know and I said it doesn't matter Tom honestly mm-hmm. yeah I mean you know obviously the last, the last person to go on the moon was what 1970s that's right yeah um, I mean I, I was actually born um, in 69 um, but at the end of 69 and I think it was summer of that year that Neil Armstrong made the first moon landing 
I, I'm afraid that I'm old enough to remember that. I remember watching it. I remember being very uninterested in it because it was just not as exciting as Doctor Who. I <laughs> Uh, you know, my parents saying, look, look, and showing me these shadowy figures because, you know, it was that whole thing with the video camera that was pointing back at the module. Um, you know, it's the, the landscape and the lunar module were kind of burnt into the tube of the uh, video picture. And so when the astronauts moved, they appeared to be almost transparent, you know, because their images were moving and new. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was, I remember looking at it and thinking, this is awful. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so the thing I remember about all the Apollo missions is that it always, because we only had, you know, three uh, television channels then, that whenever there was an Apollo mission, all my favorite programs all got, you know, pushed out of the schedule. And so it used to make me really cross because it used to be wall to wall Apollo coverage when I should have been watching Scooby Doo or whatever. Mm-hmm. I remember once in a terrible, terrible thing I said to my mum when I was small, and I, I remember being quite taken aback at the sort of violence of her reaction to it. I said, you know, I wish that that rocket would just blow up on the pad. And she said, don't you dare say that. She said, because that happened once and the men inside burnt to death. And I remember feeling so ashamed. But, you know, when you're a child, you're just sort of focused on what you want in the moment. Mm-hmm. And I, I've remembered that. It sends a chill down my spine every time I, I think of it. And, of course, now, you know, I lament the fact that it seems crazy, doesn't it, that we have the technology to do all that space stuff. Then we just stopped doing it. And I know there were very good economic reasons for it. But just imagine if we'd continued at the same pace. We probably would definitely have had a base on the moon and possibly been to Mars already, you know, but we, but, you know, there were other priorities and I'm not saying that's wrong, but uh, it's funny though, isn't it? To look, and it, you know, it's like with, we no longer have Concorde. There's no longer any supersonic flights for, for civilian passengers. It seems like we do take some strange retrograde steps in terms of technology. Mm-hmm. We, it's we, not quite as science fiction predicts that we discover something and then we keep pursuing it, you know, it kind of goes out of fashion and nothing else happens. That, that, that is weird actually. I mean, you know, I think, I think with Concorde, it was only, you know, we we only had so many of them, didn't we? They, they they never they never were mass produced, so they never became accessible to to the average Joe. No, it was great for ri- really rich people who could get to New York so quickly. Uh, but yes, you're, you're absolutely right. But, you know, a, a sci-fi perspective on Concorde would be, oh, we've got Concorde now. So by the year 2014, all passenger flights would be supersonic. You know what I mean? That's the sort of sci-fi thing mm-hmm. that happened. In reality, it's all a bit different. Yeah, I'm, I'm still waiting for flying cars like in the Jetsons. I know. <laughs> you know. That's a silver boiler suit. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm still, I'm still waiting for all that stuff. You know, it's all like it's really it's disappointing. This year 2014, you know. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, one, one thing that I've noticed in recent years with, 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 with Big Finish is how, how you've actually expanded the range to other TV properties such as Highlander. And, and now you're doing classic novels as well, you know, and such as you did the recent... Treasure Island with with, with uh, Tom Baker and and, and stuff. Are, are you are you going to be looking to do more classic novel adaptations of of of, um, of popular of, of classic fiction? Well, uh, we would love to. We'd love to do as much as possible and try as many new things as possible. But we only have finite resources, and we have to rely on people buying them. And you know, uh, Treasure Island has not sold particularly well for us. 
Um, it certainly hasn't covered its costs. So it's not something, if we do, so um, we're doing Frankenstein coming up, but we've re-examined the budget model and we're doing it in a different way, hopefully to make it cost effective. Uh, so it's quite a difficult one. You know, the, the audio market is actually very, very small. Mm -hmm. And uh, Doctor Who is quite unique in that, and I think we're unique in that we started doing this at a time when there was no Doctor Who drama at all. And we were lucky enough to find a bunch of really nice listeners who love this sort of stuff, you know. Um, but we took a, a, a hammering when the TV series came back. We were the only Doctor Who licensee who suffered because of the TV series. And there were a few moments there where it looked like we couldn't continue. So when I became executive producer, I was a little bit worried that I was being given the job of rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. <laughs> but um, thanks to uh, uh, all our, I say, immodesty, uh, modestly, all our efforts, and also the loyalty of our audience and, you know, being able to get them back, you know, we're, we're doing okay now, you know. But it's a competitive world out there with Doctor Who. And for audio um, in general, I don't think there's, there's no big um, going concern that produces audio drama apart from Big Finish because audio drama is insanely expensive to do because you're employing a full cast, you're getting someone to score it, you know, with original music and all the sound design, the time in the studio. It takes, you know, of course it's not as expensive as television, but it takes a lot of money to do. Whereas an audio book, you know, more and more these days, they do them quicker and quicker and quicker. Uh, you know, they do a sort of, a, it's one actor in a studio, no post-production, and when they leave the studio, the thing's finished. Because what they do now is if you make a mistake, they stop you, they roll back the recording, they play you the last line you got right, and you continue from there. So the editing is done on the spot. It's really, uh, I hate to do it, but there are actors like, like my good friend Barnaby Edwards, who, who's become an expert at doing that, you know, and he can polish off hours and hours of stuff a day, finished work, you know. Um, wow. And it's, it's easy and cheap for publishers to release, but audio drama's not like that. So it's quite, uh, <clears throat> it's quite difficult to, to find other things that will work, you know, but we're willing to give stuff a try. That's our main uh, motivation. Really. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, that, that's one of, one, one of the brilliant things about the uh, Big Finish audio is, is all the sound effects and the atmosphere that, that you create and stuff like that. I'd rather listen to a Big Finish audio than listen to an audio book. Where well, I agree with you. I think it's much a much more interesting experience. There are people who are fans of audio books who would rather listen to audio books and find the sound effects and music, they find that hard work. You know, they find, um, they want to just use their imagination and they find it intrusive. But those people aren't our listeners, mm. you know. Uh, our listeners are people like you who love all that stuff and sort of like to kind of tumble into the world that we're creating in an audio environment, you know. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I just think the, uh, I think the acting performances, I mean, you know, you pointed out Ian wrong when we was talking about uh, Patrick Troughton and how good uh, Fraser Hines is in impersonation is a Patrick Troughton. Um, yeah. I think done he, with such affection, I think that's the key. You know? and, and I think he's he's actually done done the second Doctor a few times as well, hasn't he? For the uh, for the big finish. Yeah, he certainly has. You know? yeah. um, unfortunately, I've not I've not actually got any of the uh, second Doctor adventures, so I'll probably have to wade through your back catalogue and uh, maybe grab some. 
Well, just nip along to bigfinish.com and I, have, a, have a good look. I will, I will do. Is there actually a specific one you could recommend me? Um, for him doing the, uh, uh, the second Doctor? Yeah. Well, there's the Companion Chronicles, which is, <coughs> excuse me, um, which is, um, uh, you know, where the Companions narrate their own adventures. Uh, I'm just trying to think of a good one, good Patrick Troughton one. <laughs> What's that one? Mm. How about uh, the Salation Gambit? That's pretty good. Mm. Have a look at that, which has got uh, Fraser and uh, and Annika Wills in it as well. Oh, cool! Yeah, I, I will. I'll definitely have a look at that um, as soon as I <laughs> as soon as I get done here. Yes, um, the, the monsters, the Salations, uh, are created by Steve Lyons. They're a sort of uh, cyborg um, sharks <laughs> with big guns. What's oh. not to like? Oh, cool! Sharks or big guns? That, that's uh, that's got to be that's got to be. Um, you know, I'm trying. I'm trying to envisage that right now. <laughs> look on the site; you'll be able to. There's a picture of the cover. I just had a look. Here we go. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That's good. But as <laughs> as, as, a, as a visual artist, as someone who's uh, you know, I'm not I'm not um, a great visual artist by any stretch of imagination. I got I got to see see in art sort of thing, but. Um, from, so from, did I. From, from that point of view, I'm trying to envisage the uh, sharp people with guns without even looking at a picture. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I just, just get, it's got my imagination going that. Um, one there are new- loads more. There are loads more. Anyway, but that was just one I just picked out of the air. One new show that, you know, we, we, we touched on it earlier on, but you're, you're actually working with the wonderful Jamie Anderson on the um, on, on, on Terror Hawks, um, a, a, new, a new audio series of Terror Hawks, which continues uh, a matter of months after where the series left off. Um, how, how did that come about? And um, are, are we likely to see, if this is successful, are we likely to see sort of like maybe audio versions of, um, of some of the other Jerry Anderson series? Well, I would certainly love that. I mean, it came about, I've always, uh, for years, I've been uh, pushing for Big Finish to do Jerry Anderson stuff um, and have had various conversations with ITV over the years who own them. I also met, I've met Jerry Anderson a couple of times, once back in the 90s, I think, when he was doing a, uh, a theatre tour where he was sort of presenting, doing a presentation about all his work which was fascinating. And then uh, many years later, I was asked to interview him for the oh, a Scottish newspaper, the Evening Herald, I think it was called. I don't know. And, um, and I met up with Jerry at uh, Pinewood. And as part of, during the interview, I told him what I did. And I showed him some of uh, the big finished Doctor Who CDs. And he said, this is tremendous. He said, I would, I would love you to do CDs like this for my shows. And I said, uh, really? He said, yeah, I, I, you have my permission. I want you to do it. And I said, um, but I'm thinking um, I have to ask someone else because you don't own it. And he looked at me and said, I'm afraid so. Uh, so um, I've always had it in my mind to do it. And then I did a convention, Brit Sci-Fi, a couple of years ago, the first time. And I was introduced to Jamie. And it was only a few short months <coughs> Excuse me. A few short months after his father had died, and uh, everyone was studiously ignoring, in that very British way, talking about the death of his father and the effect it would have on Jamie. You know, everyone was being very nice and respectful. And my father uh, died uh, nine or so years ago now, 
and which had a profound effect on me. And I just thought, you know, I sought him out halfway through the convention. You know, we'd had all of us had had dinner the night before together, you know, stuff. And I and I went and found him and saw him on his stand there where he was selling lots of you know Jerry Anderson books and things. And I said, so Jamie, uh, how are you? And he started saying, oh, well, the sales are fine. I said, no, no, how are you? And we just had a little moment of human contact, as it were, where we both had a common experience. I said, look, let me explain. My father died a while back, and I just thought I'd ask you how you were because people are scared to ask that question, you know. And we just had a very, you know, frank conversation about his dad. And I said, you know, I met your dad and I, I, I liked him very much, you know, and I've always admired his work. And we sort of um, kept in touch, really. And, uh, and you know, and I, I think I said then, you know, about how I wanted to do Jerry Anderson stuff. Mm. And, uh, and he, you know, we had various meetings and chats and lunches and he said, you know, I, there are some Jerry Anderson things that that, you know, I have access to the rights for. And I said, well, well, let's see what we can do. And out of that came the idea to do Terraborgs. Um, I would say, you know, uh, that if we did get a chance to do other stuff that wasn't owned by the Jerry Anderson estate, I would want to get Jamie involved, you know, because he's, uh, I think he's the man for the job, really, because he knows the stuff inside out. And as he said to me, well, I've got my dad's jeans. He wasn't referring to trousers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, just by, you know, having spoken to Jamie myself personally, I can tell that he's got great love for what, what he's, you know, the, the output of his father's work and he, yeah. you know, he totally gets what his father was doing. Yeah. Um, un- unlike, so like perhaps, uh, you know, Gene Roddenberry's son, who's kind of like, um, was, was distanced from it and now he's so like starting to find out through the fans. Right. You know, Jamie hasn't really had that experience. He's kind of like grown up with it and seems... That's seems right. I think crazy. as early as he could, Jamie went to the set of his dad's stuff, you know, so he's had all sorts of interesting experiences. And he's just, you know, Jamie's come along to our studios to observe how our system of recording works because he'll be directing the terror halls you know cool. with a little bit of advice from me um and, and hopefully less and less advice and he's and i've advised him just to come along and see other people direct at big finish not just me mm-hmm. you know and <clears throat> the people who met him have commented on the fact that he's just uh, a very pleasant person to have around you know mm-hmm. you've got a new range of uh, episodes with paul mcgann coming out uh, which are kind of like post the kind of like post um, when you know they're set prior to his appearance on the um, on on the on the 50th anniversary special, but kind well, of just be because he regenerates during that. Yeah, but they they they, they are just they're, they're kind of like a little bit before that, right? Before they're he a regenerates. long long time before that. There's a huge gap between what we're doing and then what happened in Night of mm. the Doctor. Yeah, what, what I'm trying to get get at though is, uh, do, do they sort of like you know start the journey you know towards where he is at when we get to that moment in the episode? Not really, no. It's a long, long time before, you know, because we've still got a, a limitless number of stories to tell. You know, the last thing I'd like people to think is that Night of the Doctor is about two episodes away from where we are in Dark Eyes, because then, of course, we're boxed into a corner and there's nowhere for us to go. So, no, um, it's... Uh, I mean, you know, the darkness in his character, which is something that Paul McGann has always asked us to explore, um, and we've been really happy to do that. I think that there, but uh, I think there's a long time to go before the Doctor gets involved in the Time War. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think McGann's been a wonderful Doctor. You know, I've only really I've seen him in the film like everyone else, and the fight was great in that. Uh, yeah, but yeah. when 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 I heard him in some of the big Finnish audios, and 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 when 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 was it? It was Radio. I think it was Radio Two that uh, did a series of them. 
No, that was around. us, and um, it was on Radio 7. Radio 7, yeah. Um, I, it's Radio 4 Extra now. So I, I listened to those, and I really, really enjoyed those, and, and, and I well, thought, wow, what a missed opportunity. Yes, well, we, we made those. You know, uh, we, they were um, uh, pre-purchased by uh, Radio 7 at the time. Uh, th- those were the ones you would have heard with him and the character Lucy Miller. That's like, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But he d- had loads of adventures with Charlotte Pollard and Keris before that. I mean, Paul has done a phenomenal amount for us. Uh, and it's a bizarre thing, isn't it? And it was lovely to see him in uh, Night of the Doctor, you know, when you're thinking it's a doctor who mostly has existed on audio. You know, the vast majority of his adventures been in our productions and it was lovely that Steve Moffat you know put in the names of the companions he's been with in our productions as well you know which was entirely Steve's idea you know he told me about it after the fact he said oh yeah yeah we made sure we looked them up and we put them in you know which I'm eternally grateful for it's brilliant I, I, I thought I was a really nice touch as well uh our companions but I, I was just really really shocked uh to see it and I, I remember the day it came on, I saw, like, uh, ran, ran a news bit on it on, on the website. And then yeah. I told one of my friends in America who, who you know, he works a heck of a lot. Um, so he doesn't really get much, you know, time out to, uh, to, to sort of like, check these things out. And he's a huge Doctor Who fan to the point there where in his spare time he actually writes Doctor Who fan fiction. And I said, um, have you seen the new Paul McGann episode? And he goes, you what? Where? Where? You know, show it me. Give me the link. <laughs> it was like, it was, um, it, it was all like, uh, right away. Give me the link now. <laughs> it was one it of was those. an incredible secret that had been kept, wasn't it? It, it was. You probably, if you read Doctor Who magazine, you've probably seen that, you know, Paul actually asked me about it uh, early last year and said, you know, they've asked me to do this thing. Do you think I should do it? I'm thinking no. And I said, no, I'm thinking yes, actually, Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I, I kind of advised him to do it. And, and thankfully, I think he came to his own conclusion. But, you know, I hope my advice helped along the way. And I think it's, you know, made a big difference to us all. The fact is, we didn't know when it was actually happening. And they decided to release it slightly early because the news was starting to leak out. And I was actually on a train at the time. And I got a, an email from Russell T. Davis and a text from loads of people saying, have I just seen Paul McGann, you know, talking about all the big Finnish companions? Uh, and, uh, and, I, and I emailed Russell back and said, I'm on a train and I don't have enough uh, you know, 3G to download the video. Uh, it was quite frustrating. I think I finally managed to get it when I was on the very last leg of the journey and I was watching it in little two-second bursts as it kept buffering. <laughs> and I thought, why can't I just wait until I get home? Mm. I just downloaded it through the Amazon, through, through the uh, YouTube app to my Kindle. <laughs> so that way I didn't, that way I didn't have <laughs> to deal to show with it. <laughs> I, I, I didn't have to deal with buffering. I just did that. Well, it's only because I was on a train from London Bridge to South East London where yeah. I was having that trouble. But yeah, I, the moment I got back to my flat, I uh, mm. sorted it and watched it about five times. Well, yeah. I mean, since it was short, it was quite easy to do that. It was, yeah. I mean, I never bother with them. I never bother with the internet on trains and stuff like that because it's just rubbish. <laughs> so uh, I wouldn't normally, but I was desperate to see it. <laughs> just being inundated with texts and emails. You know, the emails were coming through on fairly poor, uh, you know, internet. But it was, you know what I mean? And I was thinking, ah, oh, I can't bear this. Everyone's going on about it and I can't see it. Yeah, you know, I, I, I get the feeling and, and I know exactly what that's like. Um, 
in, in, you know, another question is, uh, we, we had John Hurt's War Doctor, you know, quite yeah. interesting character. And, yeah, yeah. and obviously it is uh, quite a bit of time passes, um, you know, before he regenerates into Christopher Eccleston and, and even before he meets sort of, with, the, um, with the other two Doctors. Um, would there ever be any potential to, you know, to explore that with Big Finish, do you think? Or do you, you oh, just I think mean, John Hurt would be too, too expensive? <laughs> Uh, well, uh, our license is uh, uh, for you know the doctors up until the end of number eight. So that doesn't—that's not part of our license at the moment. But if we were to get a license to do more doctors, then absolutely, you you put your finger on it, you know. And they've done—they're doing a book, aren't they, by George Mann about uh, the War Doctor? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that obviously there's there's room for adventures there. Well, that's certainly we'd love to do that. Right? Sure, we'd, we'd have to find a way of accommodating any huge fee. <laughs> well, you know, maybe you could get Fraser Hines in to do his John Hurt impression. Or maybe I could do it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or maybe you could just rip off all the sound bits from, from Merlin and uh, just, uh, just just, just um, sort of like splice, splice uh, I'm sure that would be completely Hurt's legal. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Well, you could you could always so I always say, oh, this is a different actor. He's called Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a, but in answer to your question, I think it would be a great thing to do. Yeah, and I thought it was a lovely invention, actually, the War Doctor. I thought that worked really nicely. It gave gave a sort of um, you know the idea that there was this mysterious Doctor we'd never heard of before. Actually, gave it a, a real sense of sort of mystery and that kind of uncovering of an unknown past, which I thought was um, a very strong element in the story. Mm-hmm. I, you know, that's pretty much what I thought as well. And, uh, you know, I've got to admit, for a while, when, when we had this other doctor, I was thinking, well, could this be the Vanguard? <laughs> you know, and I was thinking all sorts of that, you know, like uh, pretty much like any Doctor Who fan would. I, I was sort of, like having all these different theories and I was discussing them with friends and stuff like that. Well, I think I seem to remember that in the schedules or whatever for the shooting of that episode, Omega was listed as a character, and I think that was done. And it wasn't even the character that you know that John Hurt was playing. So, and I, I think they did that to see if anyone would leak it, to see if they could find you know anyone naughty who was leaking information. It was just a, a huge red herring. They might as well have called the character Red Herring. I think. Yeah, you know, I mean, another classic character from. From the uh, from the original from the original runner dot two that I'd love to see you know turn up would be Sitek from oh, yes, to Mars. I just think he was one one of the all be- all time best villains of Doctor Who. It's a great episode, isn't it? Humans of Mars, great story. It is, and it's you know it's like it's um it's it's kind of like gothic horror. In a sense, that's, that's what they call that era, isn't yeah. it? And uh, yeah, it's got, got the trappings of that. Mm. I mean, I like I those I like those those episodes. I mean, another one that um, I liked um, was uh, obviously City of Death is is a, is a, is a favourite. Um, but another favourite of mine is um, is the androids of the androids of death. Androids of Tara. Yeah, the, the androids of Tara. I think it's it's the uh, it's first one with um, was, I think it was the first adventure with me with with Lina after the Doctor had taken away from her home planet. Oh, the robots of the death. robots of death. Yeah, that's the one. Right, that's that's a favourite of mine. Yeah, that's and, very good. Yes, and I've often wondered why, 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 why have they not bought those uh, robots of death back? They're quite. Well, we have on Big Finish. You have. Yeah, we've done a sequel to it called Robophobia. Ah, that's another one for me to look for. 
write that down. <laughs> R- robophobia. I don't don't need to write it down. It's in. People remember that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I script editor Alan Barnes said, "Whatever we're doing with the robots, I know what the title is. It's robophobia." Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that, that that's a that's a favourite classic episode of mine. Um, is is a, is a robots of death. Such a favourite that I couldn't even remember the proper title for it. But there we go. <laughs> it's the story that counts. <laughs> but it's just, it, it is a story, and I remember it. It's, it's kind of like the first. It was the first idea that we got um, of of how out of hand and uh, how wild Nina was Nina was because she's trying to stab these robots. That's right. She chucks <laughs> her knife, doesn't she? Yeah. She's, she's taking them out, big style. <laughs> um, they probably, probably wouldn't allow that sort of thing now, would they? I, I, don't, I don't think they would. I mean, I seem to recall at the time Mary Whitehouse was kicking off every week. She certainly was. About Nobody kicked her, but there you go. There we go. Okay. Well, look, Nick, it's been great speaking to you. You know, I could chat with you all day about Doctor Who. But, yeah. Well, yes, you know, yes, I can talk about Doctor Who for hours and days. But, you know, it's been great speaking to you. It's been fantastic having you on. And um, you. I'd just like to wish you the best of luck with uh, Terrorhawks and all, all the big finished stuff that you got coming up, as, as well as um, any, any other voice work that you have coming up in the new series with Pierre Capaldi. Well, I could neither confirm nor deny any of that. But, yeah, no, um, Terrorhawks, I think, is out next April. So, uh, yes, look out for that on the Big Finish website. That's bigfinish.com, by the way. We, we, we will look out for that. And, um, <laughs> you know, fa- thanks so much for your time. It's been really wonderful. Pleasure. To you. It's a pleasure. It's been lovely to chat. Hi, my name is Steve Lund, and I play the character Nick Sorrentino on the new sci-fi and space series Bitten, and you are listening to SciFiPulseRadio.com, taking the pulse of sci-fi. And that's about all we have time for this week, folks. Um, We'll be back with you next week with another great show, so thanks for listening. Bye for now.